welcome to How to Rock the Stage Show, a show committed to equipping you to hone your media skills better to stand out from the crowd as a go-to expert in your field. Each week, Rich Montreger interviews top leaders, influencers, authors, speakers, podcasters, and media professionals about how to leverage media best to help you shine brighter on camera and stage as a go-to expert. Now, here's your host, The Trigger, Rich Bontrager. And welcome back once again, Wednesday night with you here on How to Rock the Stage. Great to be back. What an exciting week it has been. And midweek already, May is quickly winding down, but don't, don't worry, you got plenty of great shows Plenty of great stuff coming up. Tonight, we have a, a wonderful opportunity to go back to what we did on 2 p.m. live with The Trigger. And our guest was so excited to be a part of it, we had to do a two-parter. And there's so much information because AI is all the buzz. AI is a thing that everyone's talking about, curious about, scared about. There's a whole bag of mixed-up feelings to talk about when it comes to AI. And tonight, we are pleased to have welcome back again, Jill Selfenbohm. I don't think I did it right, Jill. I'm sorry. Uh, business communicator, expert, author, speaker, MC. She's a CXO of Render, which we're going to talk a lot about. Render is all about AI, but it's all about rendering you and making the virtual you for your business to amplify your business and grow your brand. Welcome, Jill, back to the virtual stage. Great to see you tonight. Sorry for the tongue tied. <laughs> That's okay. Schiffelbein is hard to say, but you know what? When you have a digital clone, you can have it pronounce things correctly all the time. <laughs> Bontrager is not any better. Believe me, I'm sure we could share some stories right there. For sure, for sure. It's, uh, but you know, we actually have a lot of people using their digital avatar, their video and vocal clone to do intros for shows just like this. So all of that is set and preset ahead of time. Oh, now we have a whole new conversation, Jill. I know. I See, know. that's why I don't ask in the green room and talk about things too early. I want to hear about it live in the moment like our fans. So the last six months, maybe a little bit more than that now, but really AI has exploded. Um, people had heard rumors of it, but it was like one of those things that maybe someday kind of, and we went from like the dark ages to Mach 5 so fast. What do you think causes quick acceleration to chat GPT and AI and everything? Why did it explode? You know, what's fascinating is AI has been around for decades and decades and decades and decades and decades and decades before that. Artificial intelligence and forums has been around for a very, very, very long time. The impetus now for generative AI, such as ChatGPT, which is a subsection of artificial intelligence, right? There's machine learning, there's large language models, there's generative AI, there's a whole bunch of categories, but this generative AI, which is artificial intelligence that can help generate responses, picked up very fastly because number one, it's something that was commercially available. There was a low barrier to entry to try it out. And of course, media helps spread this very easy. And we have different sources of media than when original forms of AI are invented again many, 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 many decades ago. So first of all, you guys have a, a, a term that you're using, and I've never heard this, synthetic media. Now, mm -hmm. I know you guys have been saying it for a long time, but what does it really mean? So synthetic media is a type of output that can come from 
technologies and tools that are aided by AI artificial intelligence. And that can be, again, machine learned, it can be generative, it can be deep neural networks, it can be large language models. I mean, there's a whole lot of buzzwords around this, but when people talk about AI now, they're typically talking about what's in the news and what's in the forefront. But again, I have to stress, these technologies have been around for an incredibly long time. It's now that they're consumer facing, affordable, if not free to try, and or investors have put so much money into them that it's free for you to try and use solely because we want an adopted user base. And so there's many different reasons why this is proliferating in the way that it is and at the speed at which it is right now. So, so you just said a key word, free for now. Is this like a drug that we are going to get used to it, test it, try it for a while, and more people are going to get pulled into it because once they've sampled it, they're going to want more of it? I don't know that it's like a drug because a drug will really need to have some utility for you, yeah. right? It will need to be providing a benefit. Right now, the vast majority of people are using generative AI like they are throwing spaghetti against a wall. And let's see if something sticks, right? There's not a clear strategy behind it. There's not an executable plan behind it. Mm -hmm. There's not an A-B test. There's not a what are the KPIs or key performance indicators around our uses of this technology to see if we're actually deriving the results that we want to derive. There's not that strategy in place for the vast majority of people using it. And the stories that are in the news that people are reading are of course not company leverages AI to save four point times amount of employee time resulting in less XYZ. Like that's not the news that we're hearing. We're hearing man asked GPT to make bio and is labeled as a sex offender. And I mean, my mom actually asked me about this this past uh, week when I was visiting her is like, well, why, how does AI do that? How does AI label this? And AI generative AI, GPT, one way to think of it, and there's tech acronyms, and then there's kind of like the layperson acronym for understanding GPT, which I'm going to give you, which is generative predictive text. This is generative AI. So you know when you text someone, you're typing a message on your phone, and there's like three words that pop up yeah. or suggested, that is generative predictive text. That is the technology at a base level that ChatGPT is based on. It is trying to predict based on large language models, based on user input, because you'll know that you know, let's say you tend to use a certain word a lot that is uh, often replaced with duck instead. <laughs> now, after you use it enough and replace it enough, it indeed does not tell you to use duck anymore in your text messages, right? Because it learned from you. These are learning machines. And so if you think of it this way, what GPT is doing is whatever prompt you are putting in and your prompt is what's super important here, it is pulling each and every word. And based on each and every word plus context, it is giving predictive text. Predictive doesn't mean answered text. You know how many times you start typing and those words are oh. not accurate. Drives me crazy right now because it's in Google, it's on Grammarly, it's on LinkedIn, and they all have different versions of what's words they sniff out. So I can have it in Grammarly, right? Drop it into a different platform, they'll go change it again. Right, because it's, crazy. it's the model that it's based on and the amount of user inputs it's collected. I'm, I'm on a user inputs that we've all allowed it to collect, depending on your terms and conditions with any of these technologies. And so it is variable, but that is kind of the base of the system. And that's the best analogy I can give you because yeah. that is how those language models are built over time. So yes, depending on how you prompt it, the exact words that you use, we all know that English language can have multiple meanings for a single word. So it really depends on that generative aspect of it. So that's why we really have to be careful in approaching this.
So as, as we're kicking off here, should everyone jump on the bandwagon and use the AI tools, the synthetic materials that you guys are experts in? Should everyone just jump into it and go for it? No, not at all. It's not necessary. It's not necessary at all. It's the same thing as when, you know, the uh, ink pen was invented, right? You could have used a pencil. The pencil was around before, you know, let's figure it out. Well, I mean, there's like ink and quill and all that stuff. So then you go to the pencil and then you have a ballpoint pen, et cetera. But not everyone needs to use the same technologies. Trying it out is fine, right? Try it out or read. Not just popular media sources, read use cases, understand how it's used because people trying it out, what they're doing is saying, oh, I tried that, it didn't work. And well, yeah, because did you have a linearly defined executable strategy with measurable objectives? If you didn't, then you cannot say that you actually effectively tried it. So as we mentioned on Monday, for those of you that caught the 2 p.m. live, Render is the company that Jill works with and they actually make synthetic avatars mm -hmm. and they're very realistic i saw this when i was at the national speaker association winter conference that's how jill and i met she had a platform up a display up and it was a guessing game which one's the real jill and it's really interesting that you guys have done an amazing job of bringing the avatar alive what can businesses really do with this jill i mean i think before we answer that question um it's best if people understand this by seeing this because when we think of Avatar, your mind may immediately go to the blue people in the very popular James Cameron movies, right? You, you may go there, which is perfectly fine. You may go to thinking of the avatar of yourself that you've had on maybe a social media app or a gaming community or whatever, where you're transformed. I mean, if you want to think of like the earliest, right, virtual worlds, like Second Life back in the very, very, very early yes. 2000s, late 90s, early 2000s, you know, you could create avatars of yourself that, that is a stand-in or a representation of yourself in a digital world. Well, we are now at the point where we can create hyper-realistic avatars, which are digital representations of you, of course, in the real world. And I'm going to be quiet for a second and actually let you see and meet my avatar and what my digital likeness, again, a form of synthetic media is capable of. Yatra ke baare mein sabse achche hisso mein se ek nai sanskritiyon ke baare mein seekhna hai. Und wenn Sie mit Menschen in Ihrer Muttersprache kommunizieren können, können Sie Ihre Wertschätzung für Ihre Kultur zeigen. La mayoría de nosotros no podemos hablar con fluidez en varios idiomas. Mais en tirant parti des médias synthétiques et de l'intelligence artificielle, nous le pouvons. This is just one example of how technology can help us be more human together. Wow. Now, the interesting thing is, the first time I saw that, you, your head was basically the only thing moving, but I saw your arms flex a little bit. Now you've already advanced it from when I saw it. That's incredible that you do have body movement now too. It is. I mean, it's very realistic looking. Now, of course, I do not speak all of those language fluently, right? Like I could have delivered that Spanish line really well, but that's about it. Although I do think my avatar looks pretty good in German. And I think I have something to do with my last name, the heritage there, <laughs> but you know, but what's so amazing about this, and it's not just because of the languages that it's amazing, but it's, we have so many different channels of communication, right? And if you'll allow me to put my, you know, over a decade professor of business communication hat on here and, you know, current uh, doctoral candidate researching all of this stuff, we look at this as a channel of communication. It is not a replacement for areas that you're necessarily already doing video. It's not a replacement. It's a fundamentally different channel. We started out, if you look at, you know, uh, 
good academic always sidestep and lingo 1986 media you know media richness here we do all these things and then moving on to media synchronicity theory and whatnot you know from the 80s 90s and beyond what we look at is how do we match best the channel of communication that we use with the message that we need to send and that is often based on complexity the uh, chance of ambiguity or the audience reception need for consuming content because some of us prefer reading versus audio versus visual and we all have personal preferences on that so you started off with text then maybe we had images and then we had you know face-to-face -face communication now, um, you know, it was either you sent an email or a fax, you maybe got on the phone or you met face to face. Now we have a more spectrum where we have synchronous chat, that live chat in real time like texting can be. I mean, that same thing is when you start to see the dot, 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 and you know someone is texting, like, you know, this is real time and you're going for it. We have synchronous video like we're doing right now, these live synchronous videos that then people can watch asynchronously as in catch the recording later. But Synthetic media produces this output in terms of our videos that are now kind of a layer that's like fits right under human videos, right? Mm -hmm. It's not going to be the same as synchronous human videos or face to face. And a real video of a real human is going to be more rich in cues, but then this fits right below it. And you can use your actual voice and recording to pair with your video clone, or you can do a video and vocal clone together, depending on the need. So you have differing levels of cues and richness that are being communicated to your audience with this form. And it's really great because maybe for someone who's never met you before, getting a sense of your digital likeness before meeting you in person or on a synchronous channel um, on video can really be a nice way to start to reduce the uncertainty that exists in human brains before we interact or engage with people for the first time. So a brief introduction, hello, hi, but you can even have those in different languages, right? For your email signatures, yeah. for a global outreach that you're new with, that little in their own language video can be extremely powerful for business, right? It really can be. We know that the, a hallmark of any culture is its language. We produce meaning through language. We produce groups and community through language. Language is what evolves us as a species. And within each culture, language evolves differently. When you have generational communication, for example, slang words. I mean, I don't even know what the most current word for something cool is, but it used to be like on point and then it was cool and rad and now it's on fleek or, you know, whatever it is like that is a cultural thing. You're not going to go say on fleek over in France and expect it to mean the same thing, right? It's very much a cultural thing, often a generational thing. And so when you're communicating with someone, the more you can match their culture, the more you can match their tone, you're going to have more success. And so for me, if I'm doing a video with my avatar, let's say in Hindi, I I don't speak Hindi. That is not a language I know fluently. I'm going to, of course, disclose that in the video as well. But it's an attempt for me to communicate in a language and people appreciate it. It's the same thing as when you travel abroad, even if you botch it up. But if you say, thank you for your patience. I am sorry I don't speak. Insert language. People are more generous with you and helping you out. I, I really love this. And um, before we get any further, we just want to mention we met at the National Speakers Association Influence. Thank you for the NSA for being sponsor of How the Rock the Stage every Wednesday night. They are partners with us to help make this happen, to reach more people. And that's why we had this conversation, because we want to reach more people. And you're doing it with this virtual likeness is, is, is really what it boils down to, right? Or a rendered likeness or what's, what, what's the best way to say what's really going on when they shoot the video of you? 
Yeah, it's we're creating your digital likeness. It's a 90 minute. You have to be physically present. Yes, there's uh, some other things that you can do that will give you a really rough and very, very AI mapped out version of your face. But if you want a 4K thing that you can get out, that you can use high production quality in many, many different use cases, I'm sure we'll go into many more, Rich, but it's something that has to be done in person right now. You know, within a couple of years, it'll probably be done remotely. But right now we're looking at it in a 4K level quality. We spend 90 minutes in a studio with our team and we produce a video clone of you and a vocal clone. They're two separate but distinct processes that then merge together to produce a synthetic media output. Do you have to put the green dots on like I've seen Andy Circus from Lord of the Rings do? Nope, nope. It's not that at all. It's not that at all. We are not, uh, you know, putting you in a, a $100,000 bodysuit where we're mapping out movements. But if you notice that those are done for video games, and while video games are getting more and more uncanny in terms of how realistic the characters are looking, they're still not at the level of the avatar, for example, that you just saw. So what are some of the applications? Again, we, we, we kind of mentioned some, but for the business world that wants mm -hmm. to embrace, maybe be ahead of the curve, what are some of the things that we can do with it now? You know, one of the, what I find to be one of the most effective, efficient, and strategic uses of this technology, of a digital likeness of a person, um, is in the training area. Mm. It's when you need to produce training and you need to do so quickly. And that's because training changes. Needs of organizations change regularly. And what happens is, let's say, even for an onboarding process within an organization, maybe you're an HR team looking at this. What happens is you produce this training and then a policy changes or a new insurance is brought on board or a new organizational structure is enacted or a new work week, flexibility schedule, hybrid work, you know, et cetera. These things are changing rapidly. And then what do you have to do? You have to reproduce the whole training or what do you do sometimes? It's like you put like a sticker effectively on the screen that says this is no longer the case. You actually will use this, which looks incredibly tacky. Um, and is mixed messaging. So you don't know what people are going to remember. And if they're auditory versus visual, they're going to remember one thing versus the other. So you always risk that too. Using synthetic media like this, you can put your training into bite-sized contents and have it scripted. You put the script there, then anyone on your team can change that script. And then you can reproduce it in your likeness at any point in time within very little effort to update those different segments of training. Another way to look at it is if it's not like an internal thing like that, let's say you are a thought leader, you have content mm -hmm. that you've created as a virtual course. Well, you created all your content, you invested a ton of money in a studio, you produce this content, it's a beautiful course. Your avatar, your digital likeness is the perfect use as a digital guide to help people navigate through that course. So as you're white labeling that course for every different client, every different industry, you can actually speak to them in their own languages because how I explain it to my clients every time I am being courted for a keynote or a consulting job or anything is that the skeleton of my content does not change, but the muscles on that body of work flex differently in every situation. And that's the analogy I always use. And it hits home really hard because, yeah, you want to get buffer arms, you're going to do more upper body, right? We all understand this. So what's great about this is you can invest in you, the real you doing your core content and digital you can guide. So let's say someone was selling their core content on resiliency. We'll just throw that in there to yeah. not what I do, by the way, to uh, a real estate agent, right? Digital Jill, let's say I'm the one who did create the course comes in and says, you know, 
hi, I am, you know, Jill. Well, actually, I'm her digital representation, and I'm going to be walking you through how to navigate this course experience. So in this first section on resilience here, where we cover uh, childhood trauma, I, I have no idea, right? Like right, right. we're visiting things from your past or reframing something to make you stronger, whatever it is. I really want you to focus on X because in real estate right now, it is very difficult when interest rates spike to maintain the same level of business as you did before. So when you're watching this section, think about how you felt when that interest rate got raised. Internalize that and process the information with that frame of reference. It makes your work so much stronger. It makes it so much more catered and personalized. And that's not you getting on video to do it. You can type that out and augment it for each and every client. So as you're explaining that, I've got ideas that, that for me, practical application. One is my starting phrase very often for most of my shows and things is, I help you shine on camera and shine on stage, help you raise your brand authority. Having my avatar literally shine on stage every time would be kind of cool, wasn't it? <laughs> it's fun. I've done presentations where I will talk to my avatar and have conversations. I'll think things out. Sometimes my avatar is on the screen with the real me. Uh, there's so many creative uses oh. of it too in the fun, in, in a fun sense. It can also bring a point home and there's, right. you know, the, uh, the new me, the old me, that type of thing. You could be having conversations with yourself that way. You know, the, the Jill before the pandemic would have said this, the Jill after the pandemic says this and whatever it may be, you can play those things out. I mean, there's of course creative use cases here, but there's so many practical yeah. applications too. I'm also thinking about on, on your website. You, you could have you on different pages and say, hi, welcome to my about section. Hi, welcome to my interview section. And literally greet people as they go throughout the journey of exploring your website. Absolutely. Right now, my team is working on my site to leverage generative AI. So our, we have a render GPT version that we've integrated within our applications that our clients are able to use uh, for free. And it's integrated within it. So you can copy and paste easily to get it uh, generating scripts. What I'm doing is I'm actually having my team take every old article that I've written. GPT is summarizing that article in 50 words or less. They're adding um, a standard template for each of those sentences. And now I'm going to retroactively add multimedia video content summarizing each article on each page because we know from a search engine optimization standpoint that video actually pushes the needle on getting you know eyeballs in terms of indexing on your content. So now there's going to be two forms of media to consume every article that I've written content-wise on my website. And that's a way to leverage AI and leverage synthetic media to your advantage. So we've talked about the plot positive, but I mm -hmm. have to go to the fear factor. There's a lot of fear about this also. And <laughs> one of them, I, I just heard the other day, I think it's McDonald's, but they're, they're talking about replacing their drive-up people with AI voice-activated engagement people or virtual people, whatever. So my mind is you drive up and you see the box and there's a screen with an AI voice saying, hi, welcome. What's gonna happen to the job market if we really start going this direction? How, how much are we taking away from the human experience with the human job market as well as some of this? When I think of this, I think of time. It is the number one resource that we can never get back. Ever. You cannot generate more time, but you can save time and you can save time in a way that allows you to do things that make you more human and allow you to display your humanness. Do I believe that someone taking an order on McDonald's is doing the most with their human capacity? 
maybe on any given moment in any given day. Absolutely. Right. We, we, yeah. you know, everything wanes and falls, or could that person be using their skills in a more meaningful and beneficial way to society? Could those, that person's skills be cultivated in a more meaningful and different way that can be useful to society? My belief is yes. In the vast majority of cases, my belief is yes. And so if an AI voice, which by the way, most people will not even be able to distinguish from a real human voice, right. is making ordering processes more efficient for the customer who's allowing us to save our time to go do more things, if it's then allowing people to have different jobs, jobs that are not even created yet, because we don't know the full extent of this, jobs mm -hmm. that you know what? Yes, people were going to take orders at McDonald's, but you know what? Now instead they're doing something else. And whether it's at McDonald's or whether it's not, there's things that we can do with our humanness in every single job that I can possibly think of. And I know I'm not thinking of every single job in the world. And I know there's going to be outliers to this. So please don't think I'm saying an all statement here. But in the vast majority of situations, if you look at what you do on a daily basis, there are certain tasks that if you used AI to augment your process and save you time, you could be more human. And even if that being more human to you is taking five extra minutes in your day or 30 extra minutes to go walk outside and breathe the fresh air, it's allowing your quality of life to change in a different way, allowing your mind to be exercised in a different way, allowing your skills to be used in a different way. So some people have criticized me and says, well, that's a pretty rainbows and butterflies look of it. But I, to me, it's an efficiency look. It's an efficiency look about allowing people to do what they do in a more efficient way and doing more of what they enjoy doing and what their brains and skill sets are capable of doing instead of being bogged down in minutia. Now, I know the deep fakes are different from what you're talking about from mm -hmm. the synthetic media, but do you still think there might come a time when we need some sort of label to clarify mm -hmm. what's real, what's rendered, what's, do you, you know, just like mm -hmm. records got, you know, rated for profanity and thing. You, you think we may have to have something to at least quickly tell people what this is? There's a lot of discussions and there have been for years and years and years about this in, you know, all different types of media communities, yes. but especially within the AI community. And for me, I always disclose that it's my avatar, right? If I don't at the very onset, I always disclose at the end. Um, there's a strategic thing for me in disclosing that, especially at this stage in the game. But there are ways to digitally verify your presence, right? There are ways to do that. And each for us, each of our clients is different. We allow them the choice to do that or not do that, right? But we have strict use limitations on what you can use your digital likeness for, uh, you know, hate speech, criminal content, false, you know, libel, all those things. Our clients sign a contract saying that they will not use their avatar to produce that. And if they do, they are held liable and we can take action towards them. And that's also very, very important. Repeat that really quickly. I think a lot of people are going to jump on that when they hear that. Say that again. Yeah. For any person that works with us, you sign an explicit contract saying that you will not use your hyper-realistic avatar, your digital likeness, to produce any content that is in any, any way inflammatory, hate speech, libel, slander, any of those things. It's a, it's a, it is an in-depth contract because it is so important for us to, from a technological perspective, protect ourselves in what is being produced out there. And that's why we do have QA checks um, on our content and on the renders that go out. And there's also a very strict multiple-level authorization process to go through any type of even ordering or rendering anything with your digital content. Like you can't go on rich and decide you want to render something with my avatar. It's not possible for you to do that. 
So you have to make sure those safeguards are in place. And so once we've done that, we leave it to our clients how they want to communicate about their digital likeness or not, because that's them. It's the same way as so many people have their assistants send out email for them, but they're not saying Jill's assistant wrote this email. No, they're so not. So <laughs> if you really want to start comparing, we really need to look at all levels of communication in that way. Well, and again, LinkedIn, we all get, hi, great. It's not the real person. We all know that after a while, but it happens every single day. And you're right. You, there's got to be an ethical standard. And I'm glad to hear you guys put that in there right away to, to set the bar high, to set the channel, and to be upfront about that. Because I think that's one of the biggest fears for people. What happens yeah. if... What happens if the, the reality is any technology, and I said this in our you know teaser promo on Monday, is that any technology that's ever existed can be used for good or can be used for ill. And there's always going to be people saying, well, we shouldn't have this technology because it could be used for. People said that about the pen, people. People said that about the pen. They said that about the printing press. They, you know, they said it about the internet. They said it about chat rooms and text messages all of these technologies. And yes, they can all be used for good or ill. Humans can be used for good or ill. We know this. So if you're approaching it from a fear-based perspective, my perspective is that you're missing out on the ability to approach something with a genuine curiosity to see if it is or is not right for you. And it doesn't have to be right for you. I will be the first to tell people who talk to us about, you know, should I get an avatar? I ask a few questions and I'm like, nope, you really shouldn't. This is not for you. And they get offended. And I'm like, I am not trying to have people who are not comfortable with embracing technology, who aren't curious, who aren't willing to work and understand a process better, come on board. I don't care about adding that client to the, to the database. I care about, can people use this strategically? Will they be curious as this evolves? Are they going to think of ways to evolve with it? Well, and we're talking about the business world right now. And again, <laughs> the media side is so important because I coach every day. Media is a new currency. Media is a new game changer for so many businesses. But I'm also thinking right now about the entertainment world. Before mm -hmm. the late James Earl Jones died, he signed his voice rights off. Mm -hmm. And for Star Wars fans, Darth Vader is Darth Vader. No one else is going to be that voice. He literally agreed that they can reproduce his voice through AI type stuff to keep the character going. Mm -hmm. So it's fun. It's entertainment. And he agreed to it. So there are safeguards in place. I have this done properly for everybody, right? There are. And here's the deal. If you have put any media, any media whatsoever out on the internet, someone could deep fake you. Anything. anything. I have a little bit out there. Just a little bit. Anything. There, there, there can be a deep fake made of you. So if you're saying, well, this is scary. I won't want anyone to copy me. Well, if you have a photo posted of yourself online, someone can take that photo and automate it with a voice that may or may not be yours. Already that technology exists and it has four years. So that has always been a capability. So if you're going to say that, then you not only need to not have Facebook like or any social media because, oh, well, I have my privacy mode on. No, <laughs> we all know that that privacy mode does not mean much. So you just can't even have any digital footprint whatsoever if you want to be 100% protected. So you really have to pay attention to not the hype, not the stuff that's put out in the media for your clickbait headlines, but what actual strategic uses are. And they're going to be different in every field. There's a whole source of entertainment AI and yeah. uh, creative AI that you can go. I'm actually uh, in, in a 
couple weeks or you know, next week, our, our CEO is going to be on a creative creativity and AI show. I'm going to be on it in July once I get my dissertation results back. You know, there's so many different ways to be able to use it. For me, I focus on it from a communicative perspective and how we use it to augment for the better communicative processes in our businesses and organizations. Jill is with Render. This is the QR code. You can hit that. What are they going to see when they go to the website, Jill? You know, the website, it's, it gives you a base overview of what we do. The real thing is we know that people aren't going to come here and click and boom, buy something online immediately and spend thousands of dollars. The real magic is in going through the application, starting to look at content that, you know, we give out once we know people are interested. There's obviously content on the site. We're building out that database of content every, every day. That's one of the things I get to do. And it's such a joy, but it's really getting started on the process to start engaging and see if this may or may not be right. That's the biggest thing because it's not for everybody. It is not at all. But for those who it is and for those who get it or those who are curious and want to ask questions, that's what we do. You'll get a basic idea from the website. You'll get ideas of use cases. You'll see pricing and all that type of stuff. But the real magic, if you are very curious, is fill out the application, start to think of what can be done, and we'll give you resources to truly help contemplate that in a more meaningful way. Jill, one final question before I'm going to let you go here tonight, <laughs> but do you like being on the cutting edge of the new frontier? Because this is new. This is scary for some, exciting for some, but you are in the hotbed of every topic and every Google search right now. You know, for me, my career has been based on being at the forefront when it comes to the intersection of communication, education, and technology, if you made a, a Venn diagram of Jill's professional life, it's at the intersections of communication, education, and technology. I built my first online course in 2003, started playing around hard-coded HTML, was figuring things out, and within three years really understood that, you know what, we can teach just as effectively online as we do in person if we are strategic about how we leverage the technology. And if the learning outcomes are measured, again, back to my earlier comments on executable, measurable strategies there. And if the measure of a course is learning output, then we can meet that in multiple modalities. Now, can one person enjoy one form more than the other? Of course, that's human, but it is possible. Then when Zoom came along, I was one of the very early adopters of Zoom. Um, you can actually read an interview with their CEO in my book from 2017, uh, you know, about customers and engagement and where this is going. And I was pushing my clients in 2017, 18, 19. Hey, guys, let me train your team on how to run effective video meetings. This stuff needs to happen. And well, we know what happened after that. I did my first virtual uh, event. I ran it in 2009. So this stuff, when you can build technology and be strategic about how you leverage it for communicative and educational purposes, really, really meaningful conversations can happening, can happen. Learning can be transferred. And that's where my passion is at, because by doing all of that, whether it was online courses or virtual events or Zoom, whatever it may have been. And now to me, it's synthetic media. We are now democratizing access to content to more audiences. So it's not going to matter as much different income levels, different capability levels in terms of hiring people to produce video or not. Ways that small businesses have budgets versus big businesses. We now have ways that technology has leveraged the playing field to reach more people, to teach more people and to engage with more people. And synthetic media to me is the next evolution of that.
Jill Sheffelbein, thank you very much for being with us here today. This has been great. We could go on for hours, but again, synthetic media. Remember the term. You're going to hear more about it as it grows and grows. Go check out Render AI. And again, this is why we have this amazing show called How to Rock the Stage. We have a blast every week helping you to learn different ways to shine on camera, shine on stage. And this is a new one. And this is a new stage. This whole Render AI and the way of presenting like this, it's only going to get bigger and bigger. So take your time, learn about it, experience, play with it, but play safely. Don't forget, we're back every Wednesday night with another exciting guest at 7 o'clock Eastern time. We go live with How to Rock the Stage. And don't forget, you do want to check out our YouTube channel. And we have uh, all the shows on playback. And, of course, we do now have our new shop. Check out some of our products and gifts that you can get there, like the Your Muted Mug. We all need that, don't we? Come on. Check that out, everybody. Hit the QR code, and we will see you back here next week again, 7 o'clock Eastern Time, as we go live for another edition of How to Rock the Stage. We'll see you then.